Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I am your host, Jack Dodgen, joined by, and, and we didn't do this last week, I forgot to give you this title, uh, our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Yes. Spencer, how are you doing? Well, I'm alive, which is always uh, a good thing, and at least recently, never certain, apparently. Yeah, we have to we have to start every show now giving a checkup on. Still here, folks. He's uh, he is not still going here. to be with the Lord. He is still with us here on Earth. Still alive. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Uh, last episode, uh, we went and talked about the relationship between grace, faith, and works. Uh, dealt with. Some three really important Bible concepts there, and people seem to enjoy it. So that was very good for us. Um, in fact, we're getting more and more people to tune in uh, ever so slightly, just creeping up every week. We're, we're near that 100 mark uh, on, on every episode. So that's really good. If you, are, if you are listening to this, we encourage you to share these around. Uh, invite more people to check it out. We were talking here just a little bit ago about, hey, uh, why don't you put this on, you know, Apple so people can get it? And I said, I, I don't know how to use Apple. That's why. So if you've ever wondered, <laughs> if you've ever wondered why it's not there, uh, it's because I'm selfish, I guess. That's probably it. <laughs> but hopefully it'll be there. <laughs> it will be there. Point. We're going we're gonna to look gonna at work uh, getting that put together and uh, getting this out to more people. So... We're excited about that. Uh, today's episode is going to deal with the role of apologetics and natural theology uh, as it relates to uh, kind of the bigger theological discussion, talk a little bit about evangelism and how all of this relates together here. But before we get into that, I want to remind you, all these episodes are on strongchurch.org, and you can also find quite a bit of other content on there as well. Uh, I'm committed to writing once a month. There are other podcasts there as well, uh, as well as some uh, some Bible study content that I'm thinking uh, here in about January, which is a few months from now, but uh, here in about January, we'll get that rolling as well. So all sorts of content for you to check out. I want to encourage you to, to send us emails to strongchurchministries at gmail.com for comments, criticism, uh, though, you know, don't be too harsh. Well, you can if it's too you, harsh, you can I'll be harsh on Jack. Just don't oh. be harsh on anything that I say. <laughs> be harsh on me. Yeah, that that was a bad segue from one point to the other. That's those are the criticisms I'll get. <laughs> Please, <laughs> uh, but send those to strongchurchministries at gmail .com. We'd love to hear uh, what you're thinking about these episodes, or what you might like to hear in any future episodes. Uh, with all of that said. Let's talk a little bit about apologetics and, and natural theology. This is uh, hopefully an episode that's going to be uh, a helpful exercise for us to think about. We, we kind of talked about last week with the faith and grace and works discussion, uh, why it's important to get things in the right order. And there's going to be a, mm -hmm. a, a little bit of that today as well, as we think about apologetics and, and natural theology. Spencer... Define apologetics for us. Where do we get that word? What's it mean? Yeah, and I want to give 
I guess it's kind of a little bit of a disclaimer as we get started. It, it could, uh, to at some points, to those of you who may be uh, big into apologetics and really enjoy doing apologetics, that I'm a little harsh or negative towards apologetics, and uh, I'm I'm not intentionally being. I'm bringing. I'm. We're going to try to bring out some of the ways that we can do it in ways that m- maybe aren't the most effective, but. Uh, apologetics is something that uh, was a big passion of mine. I say was because my passions change like every three weeks. Uh, mm. So it'll probably come back around again. I can, you know, at some point I'm going to do doctoral studies and I change about every day what I want to focus on. But um, when I was, I, I did a year of grad work at Freed Hardeman where my emphasis was in apologetics. And I took care of all those classes for my emphasis during that year that I was there. So um, literally almost half of my uh, master's degree will be in apologetics. Kind of the other half will end up being in theology. So uh, this is something that I do know a lot about. I have had a passion about, have done a lot of work in. So I'm not kind of being negative or critical in some areas from the outside. Definitely being negative and critical as an insider. So I just kind of want to put that out there, but I can um, hear the emails rolling it, in it, now. Just <laughs> criticism. Blame Jack expensive. for it. Yeah. Bl- blame Jack for it. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But <laughs> I do think, kind of as you said, it is important to kind of begin with some definitions. Again, this kind of goes back to what we've said almost every week. We hit big at the beginning. We hit big last week, how theology is is a grammar. It's a language about how we talk about God. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to define the meaning of the terms we're using in that grammar, because a language is only as important as the words that we use. And if we're not on the same page with the meaning of the words, then there's going to be all kinds of chaos in us having these discussions about whatever topic it may be. So uh, to kind of open up, apologetics, as many of you may know, is uh, from the Greek word apologia, uh, which means a defense. Uh, we get that from 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says, always be ready to give a defense uh, for our faith. And so that's where we get the word apologetics. It's um, a defense. Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense, apologia, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so apologetics has to do with uh, defenses. And so traditionally, apologetics normally takes the form of defenses or evidences or proofs for the existence of God. That's typically where apologetics focuses. And there's Traditionally, four areas that these defenses for the existence of God kind of fall into. Um, I was taught to the acronym OCTUM. I, I don't know if that's helpful to anyone, but that's been helpful for me to remember them. OCTUM. Surely there's uh, something better than that. There, you, you would think, <laughs> but I, I think that's kind of what we're stuck with, at least Fair enough. Uh, right now. So the, the O, ontological arguments, uh, which have to do... In essence, which with talking about God being the the greatest and superior of all beings, mm. uh, the C is for cosmological, which is first cause, who caused 
the creation and the existence of everything. Who or what was that first cause? A T, teleological arguments, which are fine-tuning arguments. When you think of different constants uh, in the universe, for example, you know, the distance of the earth from the sun, the existence of different things in the atmosphere here on earth, and so on and so forth, that makes life possible, makes the world possible. That's what teleological arguments have to do with. And then the M is for moral arguments, which just has to do with if we're going to have any standard of morality of what's right and wrong, then there has to be something to base or judge that standard on outside of human beings to make things objective and not just subjective. If morality is just based on what individual humans think, then morality changes from human being to human being. But if we want to say, for example, murder is wrong, that it's always wrong, it will always be wrong, no matter who does it, no matter when they do it, no matter why they do it, murder is wrong, we have to have some standard outside of just individual human beings to make such a judgment statement. And the argument is made that that standard is God. So that's kind of typically the way that apologetics has shown itself. Um, You also at times get arguments, uh, defenses, evidences, proofs, and apologetics for things like uh, Jesus' resurrection or the inspiration of Scripture, things a little bit more specific to Christian faith, for example. But uh, typically, it has to do with the existence of God, and that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on most specifically in this episode, is talking about apologetics as defenses for the existence of God. But I think it's important to mention as defenses for God's existence, apologetic arguments are always based on probability, not on certainty. So for example, take the first cause, the existence of the universe. It makes sense that some kind of being, some kind of God created everything because you don't get something out of nothing, right? That's in essence how the argument goes. Right. But I didn't actually see God I didn't actually witness the Christian God creating the universe. So I can't say with absolute certainty, I can't prove with absolute certainty that he did, but I can prove with very, very good probability that that's the only thing that makes sense of the evidence. So, uh, you know, maybe we could say 99.9% certainty, but you can, you can't fully get to that 100%. And I think, I think that's really important for us to understand is that it is just high levels of probability, but not necessarily absolute certainty. Um, and so that kind of moves to natural theology, which is where we kind of we get our theology uh, term here. And natural theology can, in many ways, just be seen as a synonym, as an alternative term for apologetics, because what natural theology does is it seeks to uh, attribute things to God, to say things about God and God's nature and God's character on the basis of what can be seen and known in the natural world through our senses, through science, things outside of what most people would call special revelation. So typically, natural theology is done, you, you push Jesus, you push the Bible out of the way, And you say, what can be known about God through our senses, through science, through the natural world? Which is typically what 
apologetics does. When you think of like cosmological argument, first cause, you're making that argument based on the natural world, right? Or the fine tuning of the universe. It's that argument's being made based on what exists in the natural world, what we know through science, what we know through our senses. So in many ways, they can be seen as doing the same thing. There is that distinction. Apologetics doesn't always have to be doing some sort of natural theology. As I mentioned, you can think about Jesus' resurrection or the inspiration of the Bible. But typically, apologetics is going to kind of take that form, especially cosmological, teleological, moral arguments for God are all on the basis of natural theology. Um, And so that kind of, I kind of want to come back and just think about how this fits in with what we've been doing in this podcast, thinking theologically. Because the question of the role of apologetics and of natural theology in the life of the Christian is a theological question. Because these two disciplines, both apologetics and natural theology, are trying to posit truth claims about God, which is the work of theology. What are we doing in theology? We're giving a grammar to God. How do we talk about God, what God is doing, what God has done, what God will do, all these different things It comes back to God. And that's what, I mean, if you're making arguments for God, trying to say things about God from the natural world, you're doing theology. And so these are theological questions because we're asking questions about what can we say? What can we know? How can we speak about God? Yeah, this is, it's very much a a lens thing, right? So we're, where, where is your, what is your lens? Are you, here's an example of this. Uh, There have been many times, and some of you listening have probably experienced this as well, where uh, you know, open up your Bibles to Genesis. We're going to begin our uh, study there tonight, and Genesis will open up, and you'll read chapter one, maybe get into chapter two, and then it becomes a all right. Let's talk about you know, and then it's day age theory, uh, gap theory. Just is it a literal seven days of creation? And it's not that those are bad things to talk about, but some people will go to the Bible, and that's their whole lens for. You know, Genesis is a science book. Well, it's not, uh, but that's the lens that the person is coming uh, to the book with, and that's really what this is a, a question of. Like, how how are you? What are you bringing to the table first? Where do you where do you start from? And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of this time on. Uh, but this is one of those, and and I think if you go back, was it our first episode? We talked about lenses, theological lens, and all that. I believe yes. yes. Go back and, and listen to that if you haven't already. But this would be one of those lenses, uh, is apologetic. Some people, some people, as Spencer said at the beginning, very passionate about this topic, and that's, that's what everything comes back to at the end of the day, and that's where they start as a result. So our, our big question today, with our terms defined, is, is that where we should start, or is there... Is there a better way to all of this? So I'm going to kick this back over to you, Spencer. What should be our starting point uh, when when making claims about God, uh, talking about the truths of God? Where should we begin uh, when when doing that? Yeah, because there, there's a there's a million places that we could start because right. I, you know I, there's we can learn things about God from 
scripture, obviously. Apologetics, we can learn things about God from the natural world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can learn things about God from, I, I believe, modern music, uh, modern film. Uh, you you name it, I think we can see things about God. Uh, all these things can have theological significance to them. The question is, where do we begin? Uh, where's What's at the core of of our understanding of God. As you said, where, where's our starting point? And for, I, I I don't think I'd be wrong in saying this, but I think for most apologists, most people who are very invested in uh, apologetics, uh, want to begin with apologetics. That's just kind of the natural thing. That's what you're invested in. That's where you want to begin. So you want to begin with apologetics. You want to begin with these natural arguments about God what can we know about God from the natural world? And then we kind of move from that no, that general knowledge of God, as a lot of people would say, general revelation about God in the natural world. And we move from that more general knowledge then to more specific knowledge found in the Bible. And then once we get to the Bible, we can learn some things about God. And then we finally kind of end with Jesus, which we would say is the most specific revelation of God because Jesus is God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And so obviously, we're going to learn the most about God from God actually walking the earth with us or with human beings. So that's where a lot of the times when we're doing apologetics, we want to start. Start with the natural world, move to the Bible, finally end with Jesus. Uh, And so uh, in doing that, what you're doing is you're saying that you know we can start by looking at the natural world and figure out certain things about God's nature, for certain general things about God. We can speak of God's power. We can speak of God as creator. We can speak of God's sovereignty. We can speak of God's morality, those kind of general characteristics of God. And then we fit those things that we know about God from the natural world into the Bible. And we say, oh, look, the Bible also talks about the sovereignty of God. Or also talks about the morality of God, or also uh, talks about the power uh, of God, or talks about God as as creator. And so we've taken those principles that we've learned about God from the natural world. We then move to scripture and say, oh, look, we see those things in the Bible. And then we kind of move to Jesus and say, see, even in the life of Jesus, we see those characteristics of God. And uh, we're fitting what we learned about God in the natural world then into the Bible, and finally into Jesus. But when we start that way, when we want to start with apologetics and natural theology, when we want to start from what we learn about God from the natural world, and then move into more specific kinds of revelations, there's several problems there. And the first is that if, as Christians, if we truly do believe that Jesus was God incarnate, God in human form, and therefore, Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is, then I believe that Jesus has to be our starting point mm-hmm. in saying anything about God, in positing any kind of truth claims about who God is. If we truly believe that Jesus is the full and the final revelation of God, is the ultimate revelation of God, then that's and is God, then I think that's where we have to start because we know and see God most clearly not through the natural world. Through the natural world, you never get to the God of the Bible. You get to some kind of God that created and organized everything. 
You get to some kind of moral being, but you don't get to the God of the Bible. You don't get to Jesus, God walking the earth. But through God's self-revelation in Jesus, we know most we know God most clearly and most fully. So I think that's where we have to, to start. But then when we begin our investigation of God, uh, anywhere other than in Scripture, which is our witness to Jesus, right? H- how do we know about Jesus, God walking the earth? We know it through the witness that we find in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if we start anywhere else but Scripture, what we're doing is we're imposing outside beliefs, outside philosophies upon Scripture. And so at this point, philosophies such as science end up taking precedent. Everything that the Bible says must then be tested and fit into what science, for example, says about the world. Uh, But the Bible, as the inspired word of God, I believe can and does stand on its own without any outside validation. I, I don't think... The Bible has to be validated by science, for example, for us as believers of faith to believe it. And so, in essence, what I'm saying is that if you start with what we know from science, from senses, from the outside world, and then move to to the Bible, we're saying, well, now the Bible has to fit with all these other philosophies, with all these other beliefs of science, with all these other things that I know by the natural world, whether those things are correct or not. I mean, we may at this time believe they are correct and then later on find out that they're not. But we're making the Bible stand up on something else. But I believe as the inspired word of God, the Bible stands up on its own. And I don't want to understand the Bible based on something outside the Bible. I want to interpret the Bible internally. I think we interpret the Bible by the Bible. I think the Bible is interpreted through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of science, not through the lens of some outside philosophy or something like that. But again, if we start with anything outside of the Bible, like the natural world, and then move to the Bible, that's what we're doing. We're making the Bible fit in to some other mode, some other way of thinking that's external to Scripture. Not that those other things aren't helpful, aren't useful. I think philosophy, I think science is helpful, but we can't start there. I think we we have to start internally with Scripture and then move from Scripture and say, based on what Scripture says, this is now how I understand the natural world. Hmm. Based on Scripture, this is now how I understand science. Based upon Scripture, that's how I now understand and utilize these different philosophies is based on what I find in Scripture. Not that I understand Scripture based on these outside philosophies, or I understand Scripture based on science or uh, whatever it may be. And so that kind of brings up an important question of, well, then if we start with science, for example, I'm just using science as an, as an example, but if we start with science and then move to the Bible, what happens when our scientific understanding changes? Because scientific understanding changes just about every day because we discover something new, right? And things have to be changed. Things have to be tweaked. Mm-hmm. But if our belief in God, that God exists and on who God is, is built first and foremost on a scientific and natural understanding of God, then when science changes, our faith falls apart. But if we build our faith on scripture, if we build our faith on Jesus, then everything else in the world can change, but our faith stands true because it's not built on those things. Again, 
It's not that those things aren't can't be utilized, aren't important, aren't helpful. We just can't start there, I don't think. We have to start with Scripture and um, move. And I think this is also important when we think about practically how, to, how we use apologetics as defenses, as arguments towards non-believers, right? That's typically how we want to use them to try to bring people who don't believe in God to faith by saying, well, consider these arguments about the existence of God, for example. Um, but w- when we do that, what we're doing is we are looking at all this evidence through a Christian lens. As believers in the creator God that's been revealed in Jesus Christ, through the witness of scripture, all of the natural evidence fits perfectly. For example, as a believer, when I look out into the natural world, it, it completely makes sense that there's a creator who organized everything, who is the moral standard, because I already believe in God, right? But without that worldview, it can be a lot more difficult to see the evidence in that way. That's why everyone's not a Christian. That's why, you know, you've probably used arguments like that with someone and it made no difference to them. They didn't see the evidence in that way. And it can be kind of hard for us to understand why. But the reason is, is because as believers, it makes sense. Because we're starting with Scripture and we're looking at how the God of Scripture makes sense of the world that we find ourselves in. But if you don't have that lens, then it can be very difficult to see the evidence in the same way. And so that's just kind of a a caution of, you know, maybe don't get so, one, don't get so frustrated when, you know, you're trying to convince someone that there is a God and they don't believe. But also don't put all of your eggs in an apologetics basket and say, well, that's the only way that anyone can come to faith. Because... As experience shows, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, um, one of the thing one of the things you've said has even been something that others who are involved in apologetics have said, uh, where uh, you might have uh, somebody that uh, is completely atheistic, right? And so you appeal to apologetics, get them to a belief in not the God, but a God that something had to exist, right? And then you have to go through the work of, okay, well, let's talk about the Bible and use apologetics there of why this is the word of that God and what does that God look like? And so just the the creation in and of itself suggests creator, but it doesn't suggest God of the Bible necessarily. You know, and so you're you're dealing with a lot of. For us, it does, because I believe in the God of the Bible. So when I look at creation, I go, "Oh, that's the God of the Bible." But that's not where everybody else is coming from. Uh, that point about Christian lens is really important. Uh, people do not see the world the same way that Christians see the world. Uh, we we come from a very unique background uh, as people of faith versus those that are not people of faith, uh, we view the world in very different ways. And mm-hmm. uh, these apologetic proofs carry different weight with us than it would with, with people on the outside. There's a little more to say about all of that, but uh, I think the, the problems you've highlighted here are very good. Uh, and as you've said as well, I want to reiterate here, 
it's not that this can't be useful. Uh, it is useful in its proper context in the same way that we talked about those three elements in the last episode are all good things but can be not so good or even bad when they're not put in the right place. Right. So I, I right. think we've seen starting with apologetics, not a great starting point. While you might be able to arrive at true conclusions about God and things about his nature and his character, uh, that won't always happen, number one. Uh, and number two, you're going to end up with those problems of imposing outside things into Scripture or onto God uh, that right. he didn't reveal that, about himself. Yeah, we we think that we discern something about God from the natural world, right? And then we want to impose that on God and kind of make Scripture fit it. And right. We, we may be wrong on that. And another big problem that I see is that if you start with apologetics, normally you have to make some kind of argument of God had to do something. Either he had to create or he had to reveal himself or something like that. Yeah. And uh, to me, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible doesn't create or reveal because he has to. He creates and reveals because he loves. I mean, that's why... That's why, why does God reveal himself in scripture? Why does God become a human being in Jesus Christ? Why does God create it all? I don't think it's because God has to. I think it's because God loves, he loves us. And that's why he reveals himself to us. But um, it's much more difficult to get there, particularly, if you don't start from Jesus. Because, again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right? Yeah. That's why Jesus yeah. came to earth. So we start with Jesus. We start with God's love for us in doing all this. And then we can move, I think, and better understand. But you don't, if you start from a natural world, you don't necessarily get a loving God. You can get a, I mean, maybe you can, but I think at best you get just some kind of being that created. And then you got to eventually get us to Jesus. I want to say, well, why don't we start with Jesus, this loving God, and move back the other way at least in trying to understand god yeah um but you know well, you you let's mentioned talk about that the beginning with jesus is our our starting point what does that look like when combined with apologetics yeah so i, I kind of want to get practical here and we'll so what what is the role how is in my opinion what is the best way to utilize apologetics and so i want to start with emphasizing kind of what we set up to this point that since Jesus is the fullness of God's revelation of who God is, then I think Jesus must always be our beginning, be our starting point. Because we only truly know God and we fully know God as we know Jesus Christ. Therefore, we begin with Jesus and it's through the lens of God's self-revelation in Jesus that we then begin to look and understand the rest of Scripture and we also begin to look and understand the natural world. And so when we do that, apologetics then becomes, I think, still a very useful tool, but it is a tool that is within a larger, our larger evangelistic toolbox. Because for some people, natural arguments are useful in coming to faith. And I, I think of people that are maybe very uh, analytical type of thinkers, uh, people mm -hmm. who are in those kinds of fields like science, like philosophy, uh, things like that, for them... These kind of apologetics arguments are probably going to be very useful in bringing them to faith because these are the kind of questions they are going to have. 
the kind of things that they're going to want to deal with as they begin coming to faith. So for uh, some people, these kind of natural arguments are very useful. However, I think our experience attests to this, that we must recognize that they are not useful and do not make sense to everyone. For some people, you can throw out every apologetic argument, and it's just none of them are going to stick. It's just they're not going to ever see and understand the world, at least where they are right now, in that way. It's just that they're not going to, to work, and I think we have to recognize that. That's why I say it's a tool in our evangelistic toolbox, but it can't be the only tool. You know, If all you have is a hammer or all you have is a screwdriver in your toolbox, you're going to be limited in what you can do. Because a hammer is not going to be useful in all situations. A screwdriver is not going to be useful in all situations. But if we've got a full toolbox of apologetics and many other things that can be used for evangelism, we're going to be a lot more successful because they don't work for everyone. And that kind of comes back to uh, these arguments make very good sense to us who already believe. But to people who don't believe, they, all, they don't always make good sense. Uh, to them. And so that's why they're not useful for everyone, but they are useful for some people. Um, Mm -hmm. But additionally, this kind of goes to, I I firmly believe that the experience of love uh, within a, a, the experience of a community of love, a community of mutual goodwill, a community of self-sacrifice, these identifying marks that are supposed to identify the community of the church, I believe that is more powerful than any argument we could ever make about God. I think our best thing for evangelism is the way we as the church live in relation to one another. That when people see a community of love, of mutual goodwill, of self-sacrifice, a community that is empowered by the Spirit of God, they should be able to look at us and say that there's something different about this community. This community looks different. It acts different than any community that I have ever seen, that I've ever been a part of before. I want to learn more about what makes this community of people so special. I think that's more powerful than any argument we could ever make in the uh, first place. And so with apologetics, though, as one of the tools in our toolbox, like I said, though, I don't think it's even the best tool. I think the church ought to be our best tool. But apologetics is a tool in that toolbox. And so what I think we do when we kind of bring all this together, what we're doing when we make these kind of arguments is that we're inviting other people to see the world from our Christian worldview, to see how Christianity, better than any other worldview, better than any other belief, is able to explain the world that we live in, and to explain our individual experiences. I think that's what we're doing with any argument like this that we're making, is we're saying to people, look at your life, look at this world we live in from the Christian perspective, and see how Christianity, better than anything else, is able to explain and to give meaning to all these different things, to your life, to this world. I think that's what we're doing when we make these arguments. It's not necessarily trying to convince, even though that's kind of what we're doing, but saying, hey, look at the world from my perspective and see how this makes the world make sense, and then kind of move on from there. You know, for example, see how my belief in a creator God makes sense of the existence of the universe, you know, better than anything else. See how my moral God, shown in Jesus Christ, 
makes the best sense of the way we understand and the way we feel about moral things, for example. Hmm. Uh, see how my God gives the most, gives the best meaning and understanding of what it means to be a human being, how that gives meaning and fulfillment to your individual life. I think that's what we're doing with these things is asking people to view the world from our perspective and see how Christianity makes sense, organizes in a way our world and our experience. Um, But that's kind of what we've kind of focused exclusively on using these kinds of arguments and things for people outside of faith, right? Outside of the church. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I just want to hit just very briefly that I do think they're useful for people inside the church as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we're going through struggles in our faith, when we're going through times of doubt, I think apologetic arguments at times can be useful. You know, I'm struggling with faith and, you know, maybe what I need to do is simply to walk outside to look at God's creation and just remember that there has to be a creator. And maybe that's what I need uh, to, to kind of give me a little uplift in my faith as I'm struggling for whatever reason it, it may be. Um, you know, maybe when, uh, we see things that are so, you know, morally wrong, remembering God as the, the moral standard that's going to make all things right. You know, maybe that's helpful for me in those moments that can uh, make it difficult to hold on to my faith. Um, hmm. Whatever it, it, it may be, I, I do think that they're also useful for us as, as Christians during those times to just kind of help reorient us as we, we think about how our faith orients our life and how our faith orients the world that we live in. But again, that's what I think apologetics is doing. It's helping us kind of orient and make sense of the world in the best way that we can because God is the creator of the world. And that's what we believe. That's what we know to be true. And so that helps us in understanding our world by understanding God and then understanding the world that he's created. You know, this... uh uh, apologetics being helpful, you mentioned maybe more analytical and people and things like that. Um, I think Acts gives a, a good uh, little, and, and maybe we'll do something on evangelism specifically here uh, in the future. But uh, you have you have Acts Acts seventeen, right, where Paul is in the synagogues and then he's in Athens and in both places, though a little differently. He's reasoning and proving and. Uh, debating and arguing and showing, okay, here's the the nuts and bolts, trying to get them to eventually the resurrection of Jesus. That's that's his point. But then you have in Acts chapter two with Peter, uh, it's yes, it's it's scripture. But then you notice after that, once they're baptized, you have this group of believers. They're sharing meals together and studying together and sharing their possessions together. And they have favor with all the people. There, there are some who are going to be convinced by the analytics, the the rational, uh, the more nuts and bolts type of stuff that apologetics might provide. But there are going to be, I'm going to say most, especially in our culture now, it's very emotionally driven, that are going to respond to seeing uh, the moral teachings of Jesus in the life of those that follow him. Uh, and starting from there, uh, that that see Christ in us, that moves them to want to be a part of it emotionally, and then we can work 
and add in some of these other things uh, if we so desire. A little bit of balance in all of this, um, but uh, good thing, I think, to pay attention to. Maybe we should do something on evangelism. That's not what we're going to do our next couple episodes on. Uh, should we tease what's coming up what? for people? Why not? So they can plan on not listening. Uh, Perfect. Get ready for politics, everyone, for two episodes. It's, it's, <laughs> one it's, one prior to the election, and or uh, prior to, uh, yeah, voting. One afterwards, I suppose, is how that's going to lay out. So, yep, yep, it'll be. We're going to ultimately strive to um, give a theology of politics because that's what we that's what we do, do here. around here. At least that's what I do around here. All this uh, theology I just provides so segues. That's all I do. We're we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to try. To eventually give a, a theology of uh, politics, which will, I think, help us as Christians to, I think, better understand the way that Scripture would have us to relate to government, relate to politics, especially in as hostile of a political time as we're in right now. I think that'll be very useful. Yeah, speaking of balance, that's very much one of those areas where things are lopsided. And, and, so and, and lenses, we've got some bad yes. lenses as well. Yeah, we're gonna clean some. We're gonna we're gonna clean some lenses here. And deal we're gonna with replace the, some lenses. We're gonna replace some lenses. We're gonna break some lenses. We're gonna get you new lenses. To get you new pair of glasses. Send you way. to the uh, ophthalmologist. Is that an eye doctor? That is an eye doctor. Well done. Here we go. <laughs> Maybe you can pursue that for your doctorate. There we go. Becoming a, a lens doctor. That's right. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Uh, Again, share this with other people. We are getting more and more people all the time listening to these, and it's because people like you uh, passing these on, inviting others to join in the studies with us. We very much appreciate it. We very much enjoy having these discussions and are glad that, that you want to join along with us in all of these things. This has been our show today. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time.